our mini-series on being fearless in sharing your faith. And this year, you know, as we've spoken about time and time again, we're exploring what it means to be a fearless Christian. And we want to have a courage culture. We don't want to be afraid, which is opposite to living in fear. And I think Pastor Pete done such a great job last week of articulating, right, courage is a choice. It's a choice that we make regardless of the circumstances that we're in. We make that choice believing that God has called us to be courageous and knowing when we step out into that place that God is with us. So it's not me being courageous on my own. I'm courageous with the might and power of the Holy Spirit with me. And I can step in that place of courage. About a month ago, we focused on point one. And I'm going to give you the last wrap of what we've spoken about. And then we're going to finish off today with, the, I think, the uh, crescendo. The best point of all, that the gospel has the power to save. But we want to start with, just, just a quick wrap up, was um, the Holy Spirit brings to memory God's word and teaches us what to say. And, you know, I spoke about Moses and his fear of, of facing Pharaoh or facing the children of Israel to begin with, to deliver a message that God wanted to free them from oppression, take them from the place that they were in in Egypt and take them to the promised land. He feared that because he said, I'm not the guy, I don't have the words. You, you've misjudged this situation, God. You need to call somebody better. And sometimes we, like Moses, we are called to be witnesses of what Jesus Christ has done in our life. But we can hold back and say, I'm not the guy. I'm, I can't do that. It's just not within my capability or my skill set or whatever. But my encouragement, like it has been for the last few weeks, is God says, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. He will be with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes, forsakes us. He is with us in the moments when he requires us to speak up and to be bold. Amen. Also, we talked about how this can occur. Well, most opportunities for spiritual interaction, they happen within the sphere of our influence. Now, speaking of exciting stuff, I got my first uh, casual shift here tomorrow, which is great. And, and I, I've just been praying and believing that, you know, for strategically speaking, like, Lord, let me be in the place that we meet every Sunday at. How good it would be to be able to walk with the Holy Spirit into the place that we meet every Sunday and say, Lord, wherever I walk, let, let there be God, godly footprints. And Lord, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm here to be a teacher. I'm here to be a professional. I'm here to be somebody that honors my role. But I know that when you're with me, Right? It's always an opportunity to speak to people, to interact with people, to be able to share the light of Jesus Christ. And so it happens in the sphere of our influence, through our character, conduct, our language. It becomes a platform for us to be able to open our mouth. And the opposite is true as well. So if our character, conduct, and language is not godly, then it kind of disqualifies us to be able to be a testimony and speak out for Jesus Christ. So when we go against the tide, against the grain, against what is the popular way and the way the world wants us to go, we stand out. We just do. And it gives us an opportunity to be able to share Jesus Christ and share why we are set apart for Him. The next point we talked about was growing in knowledge. And we covered two points. 
we discovered that acquiring knowledge is not for my ego. It's not about me. It's not about me being clever and witty and just knowing so much. Have you ever met a human encyclopedia? Anybody? It's like, mate, they know a lot. When it comes to the godly context, it's good to know about what God has done in our lives. It's good to know His Word, but it's not about me and my ego. It's about others. It's about I'm learning and I'm growing to know so that I can be equipped and ready at any, at any moment to be able to share Jesus Christ. The other purpose of getting to understand more and learn to grow in knowledge is the more you know God, the more you love Him. It's a beautiful thing. The, more I, the, 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 the longer I am in Christ, in my journey, walking with God, the more I love God, the more miraculous and wonderful and amazing and mighty He is in my life, the more I know my wife, the more I love her. Isn't it funny that I, I've, I've said to her many times that, you know, we've been married for 15 years. Is that right? 15, just about? Any man doesn't know their <laughs> exact time frame? <laughs> yeah. But I just know that, you know, I love my wife more and more as I get to know her more and more. And it's a beautiful thing. That's the same thing with God. We get to know God more. We get to love Him more. And the beautiful example that tied all this together was Philip and his appointment with the eunuch that he met on the road. He was walking alongside and the eunuch was wanting to understand what Isaiah the prophet was talking about. And here Philip was full of understanding and knowledge for the right reason, for the right purpose. He came along and he goes, hey, I can help you understand what you're reading. And the story goes on that the eunuch gives his heart over to the Lord and immediately gets baptized. And so that is what knowledge, the acquiring of knowledge is all about. It's to equip us to be able to share our faith with other people so that we can bring them to Christ. Hallelujah. The next one we spoke about was know your audience. Joe and I brought that like last week, I think it was, or the week before. After uh, before Pastor Pete, and we covered two points. Point one was it's helpful to get to uh, a biblical perspective of the characteristics of the lost and the unsaved. Has that helped anybody to understand that when you share your faith, you might not always get the response that you were hoping to get. You might get a little bit of rejection. You might get a bit of a oh, you're that guy kind of thing. But the point is, the reason they give you that rejection is because the Bible describes the lost as blind, dead in trespasses. They see your salvation and your walk with God like foolishness. They're like, what do you even believe, right? So when you know that, it helps. It just helps you to be prepared to be a witness for God and not, be, not to be so disappointed if you get a, a bit of rejection. But we also spoke about knowing your audience, and we, we spoke about the example of Jesus Christ. Who better but to learn from how Jesus Christ knew his audience? So Jesus knew the key to salvation for Zacchaeus was through love and kindness. He loved him. He said, hey, come down from that tree, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus, from the conviction and from the love and kindness that Jesus showed him, said, I'm going to repay everybody that I've cheated twice the amount or three times the amount, if I'm not correct. Four times the amount. 
His loving kindness led him to repentance. The other story we shared was Jesus understood the Samaritan woman needed to be confronted with the truth. And as a result, she repented and testified of Jesus to her community. She was so amazed that Jesus was able to tell her, yes, the man that you're with now, you are not married to him. And, and the, the five, you were not married to. And he, he gave her the truth. And from that, she was so blown away. She gave her heart to Christ. She went and testified to her community and made a huge impact. With the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can also know our audience and the approach we should take. So that's the kind of application part of what we spoke about. God will lead you. He will show you in different situations and scenarios. That person requires love and kindness. That person, you ought to tell them the truth because the truth is the truth will always make us free, right? But the point is God gives us the way in which we should communicate, the way in which we should connect with people to be able to win them over to Jesus because he's with us. And, he's, and, and, and when you step up and say, Lord, I want to do what you have asked me to do, he will be with you to help you accomplish that. If it's his mission, you better believe he's not going to leave you on your own to be like, what do I do, Lord? He's going to be with you. He's going to equip you. He's going to help you. But today, we want to focus on point number four. And this is the last one. The gospel has the power to save. Let me, let me just pray quickly. Dear Lord, I thank you that you have, I believe, stirred up our hearts. You've stirred up my heart. You've stirred up Joe's heart. And thank you, Lord, that as a church community, we want to be obedient to you. We want to just learn. We don't want to stay in the same place that we were yesterday. We want to move forward. And whatever you're speaking today, Holy Spirit, we want to hear it, not just listen to it, but we want to hear it and receive it in our hearts. I pray that you would speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to cover three points that explain how the gospel has the power to save. In, in three quick points. Point number one, I want to speak about the promise. What is the promise in God's word regarding the gospel and it having the power to save? Well, in Romans 1.16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. That's a promise. See, the thing about a promise is it only becomes a reality when you apply it. It, it is the power. It is the power of God to salvation. Yet, unless it's delivered, the power remains just a, as a promise. This is a fact. This is what the Lord says. It is the power of God unto salvation, but that's just a promise. That's not the actual happening yet until it happens. Does that make sense? It's not by my speaking gift, not by my knowledge, and I talked about the difference of knowledge of God and knowledge for my ego. So it's not by my ability to outwit somebody with truth. It's not by winning an argument. It's not by force. 
It's not by the church program and all that the church offers, believe it or not. (laughs) It's not at all. The Bible says the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The promise, it's a promise. So we can trust that the gospel, the purity of the gospel in itself, when we deliver it, it has the power onto salvation. We don't have to conjure up our own method. Just delivering the gospel in its purity, it has the power to save. Isaiah 51, 55, 11, and, and Pastor Sid quoted this. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we share the gospel, church, let me encourage you about this. We are not sharing our own words, but rather God's word. It's not, you know... Again, my, my method or my articulation of some kind of great spin on something, it's God's word. And it says it won't come back in void. That's a promise. The promise is it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. My role is simply to share the gospel, his word, and trust him with the outcome. Amen. He's the one in control of the outcome. So that's the promise. Now, I'll tell you something about a promise, right? I used to work for Woolworths, and we also had a promise to our customers that we shall deliver in full, on time, and error-free, okay? And I used to get the um, order mixed up. I used to be like, and so in full... On time, error free. That was a promise that Woolworths had towards their customer. But here's the thing without the people, that promise is just a promise, right? Without the action, without the outworking of what believing, the application, the stepping out, the taking a step of faith and saying, God, you promised, so I'm going to go ahead and believe what you said and step out in faith. And start to speak. But without that, it's just a beautiful promise. You know, when, when it says, when the Bible says, children, honor your father and mother and it will be well with you. Again, that's a promise. But you must honor your mother and father for it to be well with you. And it's the same in this scenario. as a promise that God says that the gospel, it is the power onto salvation right? It is. And yet without the next point, which I want to talk about, the process. So we talked about the promise, but without the process, the promise is just a promise. So let's talk about the process. The process of winning lost people to Jesus requires workers. Quite simply. Wolves, you can have your dream and your promise, but without the DC, the distribution, without the store people, it's just an empty promise. There's a process to be able to help fulfill 
what God is saying is a promise when we go out and act upon it. Luke 10, 2 says this, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is truly great, but it's up to us to open our spiritual eyes and see the need that is before us. You know, at home, it always amazes me that my kids, they don't see what I see. Have you ever noticed that, parents, at all? When you're in the process of cleaning up your home, it's amazing that they, they are not seeing what you're seeing. You know, speaking of opening up your spiritual eyes, I'm giving you a little bit of an example. So I see things on the floor. I see the toys here and there. I see the rubbish that needs to be emptied. I see everything in my home, right? I need to alert my kids, hey, do you not see this on the floor? You were just walking on it. You were walking, it's, you were walking on, to, on top of it like it's a walkway. Did you not see what was on the floor? It's funny that as parents, we see, right, right what is in front of us. My encouragement to us is see the need. There is a need. We need to open up our eyes. And you know what the difference is? The difference is this. It's taking ownership of the world you live in, in your immediate surroundings. It's taking ownership and saying, I am the light in this place. I am the hope in this workplace. I, 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 I am the salt in this situation. I, I'm the one. I'm taking ownership. I'm not expecting anybody else to be the light. Because I, I've had the revelation of Jesus Christ come alive in me. So now I have become that hope to others. And I take ownership, just like I do at my house. I think to myself, I am the one that is responsible for making sure with my wife that our house is in good working order and that we don't step on our clothing and then have to buy new clothing because we don't care for it. We're responsible, correct? It's taking ownership. And the difference is my kids, they haven't got it yet, right? I'm waiting for that thing to tick over in their mind where they go, this is my house. This is not just daddy's house. This is my house. And there's stuff on the floor and I'll pick it up. But my encouragement to you, church, and I hope that example can help, that we can take ownership of the people that we are with to say, hey, Lord, I'm in this relationship for a purpose. I'm the bearer of truth. And I can have an impact of sowing seed. And that's what we're going to talk about in a moment. God, under my watch, I won't ignore the need. I won't be ignorant. I'm not going to just walk over things. I'm going to go, no, no, no. Hey, this is my house. And Lord, this is my appointment that you have allowed me to live day in, day out. I'm going to take responsibility because I can. And he empowers me to. The gospel has the power to save. And what better story to illustrate this than the parable of the sower? Let me read this. It says in Mark 4, 3, 
Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no roots, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprung up, increased, produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So I love this, first of all. It gives you a parable of being somebody who goes and shares the gospel and it being like seed, that you're spreading the seed, right? But Jesus helps us understand this better. He gives us the opportunity to understand what does it mean by the seed fell, by the wayside it fell, and, and the devourer. So I'll read, I'll read how Jesus explains it for us to both understand. He said in, in Mark 4, 13, it says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Okay, The sower sows the word. The sower is you. The sower is me. We sow the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. Okay, The ones by the wayside are the ones who do not believe. right? And we sow the seed right, of God's word to those who do not believe. When they bear... So when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60 and some 100 so Jesus explains where the seed landed and what the outcome was. Does that make sense? So in some cases, it was the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches, right? And so the seed didn't accomplish what it was set out to accomplish. But some seed, right, multiplied 30, 60 to 100 times. But what can I learn from this parable? I really want to encourage you some amazing truths from this parable. Number one, a lot of seed must be scattered to produce a crop. Okay? There's a lot of seed. Number two, not all soils produce, but we cannot reap if we do not sow. It's a principle that you can't deny. You sow if you want to reap, correct? And you can't expect it if you don't sow. Number three, we must continue sowing because one day we will reap a harvest. 
So the beauty of it is in this story, not every seed produced 30, 60, 100, but some of the seed from our sowing produced and multiplied. Number four, the soil that produces will multiply. We will reap more than we sow. How good is that? That when you sow, biblically speaking, you can anticipate and expect that, Lord, that seed potentially with you at work can become 30, 60, or 100 times more than the original seed itself. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Number five, we will reap in proportion to what we have sown. We will reap in proportion to what we have sown. Number six, we cannot do anything about last year's harvest, but we can about this year's. So I want to encourage you on that one because sometimes we can, and the last thing I want from the little mini-series that we've done is for anyone to hold their head down in shame or, or something like that. Or if you're in the beginning stage of your journey with the Lord, don't feel condemnation or, you know, I'm not good enough, I've got to do more. I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of this. You are righteous and you are made um, like Jesus Christ himself by the miracle working power of God, right? You don't have to do anything or be anything to have God's love and acceptance. He already loves you, already accepts you. So this is not to put anybody down, but this is just to encourage you that if you're focusing upon last year's harvest and what I didn't do and what I should have done, forget it because it's a beautiful truth that tomorrow and today, the harvest is still ripe and God is still calling his laborers and today is the day of salvation in Jesus' name. Number seven we must believe in the seed we sow, knowing that some will produce fruit. And that's not me saying it. That's the Word of God saying it. Some will produce fruit. And number eight, and this is the last little encouraging learning from this passage. Once we see fruit, all our effort seems worthwhile. Right? You know, you, when you see God move in somebody's life, and taken from one place to another, everything becomes worth it. But I want to encourage you that be a sower because the Word says some will multiply and you will see fruit as you sow. The last point, and I'm going to finish very shortly. We talked about the promise. Promise is good. It's ready and it's available. But it's for us to apply that promise and see that God will move as he has promised. Number two is the process. Workers, excuse me, workers are required. You know, we can have a lovely promise and a beautiful slogan or whatever, but unless we have workers, it cannot be accomplished. The last but not least point is the product. <laughs> I, sound, I sound like a Wolves employee, don't I? Product. What is he talking about? We're in the church, for goodness sakes. The product, and by the product, I mean the glorious outcome. The glorious outcome. 
Mark 4.26 says this, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Isn't that a wonderful passage of Scripture right there? Because it emphasizes here that my role is to scatter seed. The glorious outcome is the seed should sprout and grow. But I don't make it happen. I sow the seed. I love how it kind of says he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. He's not in, you know, in... in um, condemnation or stress or panic or or in um you know it's up to me it's up to me lord make it happen no 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 lord i'm just going to be obedient i'm just going to be i'm just going to determine in my life i'm going to be a sower and as i sow you're the one that makes it grow and sprout and let me finish on this and i'll invite pastor sue in a moment to come and just finish up the service, but in Mark 4.30, it says this, the parable of the mustard seed. Now listen to this. If this is not a glorious outcome, I don't know what is. But it says, then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. Okay? But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may rest under its shade. What a glorious outcome. Just a little seed, the smallest of all seeds. And then it becomes the greatest now, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen that accomplished on our earth yet. That seed of the word becoming great, greater than any other tree. I've not seen that in our earth yet. I'm praying, Lord, bring the harvest, Lord. I'm a laborer. Let us, Lord, fulfill what your prayer was, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if you prayed it, Jesus, if you prayed it, it's important. It's an important prayer. And if you prayed it, it's going to come to pass. And then I love the reminder here that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. So starting the smallest becomes the greatest. So my encouragement, church, I hope that you know, in the last couple of weeks or month or so, whatever it's been, we've been encouraged and stirred to be able to believe that you are part of God's solution to the world. You are His light. You are, he, you are the salt on this earth. You, you, will bear, you bear the truth. Go and, go and believe that. Confess that if you have to. And let God open doors and show you. Let the Holy Spirit gently whisper to you and show you what you can do and how you can do it. Amen? Pastor Sue?